and welcome to the Energetic Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa LaFera, an astrologer, tarot consultant, and all-around creative from sunny San Diego, California. And this is the 42nd episode of the podcast for the week of February 25th, 2019. So let's break it down a bit. Here's what to expect. The goal is to help guide and prepare you for the utmost awareness of the energy in the moment. For if you use the energy consciously, it has a better chance of working for you. I'll kick off the show with a weekly astro report, along with a few tarot polls and our animal ambassador of the week, and then a guest will join me in conversation around a chosen topic. And this week, I'm so happy to welcome back Florida-based professional astrologer and head boss lady over at Radiant Astrology, Christina Caudill, who will have a discussion. She shares some wonderful information on Chiron in Aries. So we are talking all things Chiron. Now, before we get ex- uh, ex- started here, before we get ex- started, before we get started, please remember, as always, take what resonates and leave the rest, because only you know you best. So thank you so much for joining me here today, and if you'd like to show appreciation for my work and get early Sunday access for only a uh, dollar per month, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com backslash energetic principles. I also have a tip jar on the front page of my website over at energeticprinciples.com if you would like to leave a donation there. And I want to give a big shout out to Elliot R. for leaving uh, something for me, which I really do appreciate. So if you want to uh, contribute, once again, that is at energeticprinciples.com. So let's get down to this week's Astro Report. Our Lunar Lady starts out the week finishing up the tail end of her weekend Scorpio transit uh, in sauntering into the fiery domain of Sagittarius on Monday around midday. And she stays in this fast-paced and potentially restless zone, making her last quarter square on Tuesday, before she contracts back into the practical and grounded Earth of Capricorn on Thursday. Emotions take on a bit of heaviness until Luna moves into the detached air of Aquarius on Saturday and where she will remain for the rest of the weekend. So just a quick heads up that all time approximations are for North America. So if you live in Europe, add about eight hours. And if you are in Australia or the East, you're going to want to add about 17 hours or basically look at it like the following day. And keep in mind that timing isn't always precise, as astrological transits, otherwise known as the connections that planets make to one another, have varied emphasis as they apply and separate. So it is quite possible to feel the energy sooner or later than the exact moment of contact. Well, my friends, this week we are tested by the crisis in consciousness that is known as last quarter in Sagittarius. Uh, While we also have the sun making a sextile to Mars, which helps us become aware of where to take action and to root down next. We are also awakened this week and maybe a little shooken up as Venus squares Uranus uh, and also conjuncts the south node and then moves immediately into Aquarius. So let's not waste any time and dive right in. 
On Monday, we start out the week with the moon in Scorpio, and she will move to Sagittarius about uh, one o'clock here, at least on Pacific time. Uh, And early in the morning, she will make a trine to Mercury and a sextile to Venus, probably before we are even awake here on the Pacific coast. But of note, um, we have Venus who will be crossing the south node that day. And we also have the last quarter in Sagittarius pretty much brewing on this day, since it will happen technically tomorrow on Tuesday, but in the middle of the night. Um, So we're really going to be feeling last quarter, I think, more on Monday, although it's going to have a flavor for both Monday and Tuesday. So let's look at last quarter in Sagittarius, because this phase is known as the crisis of consciousness. And so we may feel challenged in regards to life's expanding horizons, and if we are ready or not for the transitions that are taking place. And there may be some doubt while there is, uh, you know, kind of simultaneous optimism. So we might swing back and forth uh, from feeling good to feeling like, oh, I don't know. Um, But so either way, there's kind of tension on either side of us. And emotions are aligning with beliefs. So if you feel yourself out of whack or a little bit on the tender side, you know, look at the story you're telling yourself and try to root out any emotional belief that may be getting in the way of the shifts that are taking place or, you know, just your life story and this bigger picture in general. Um, Or look at the cause of your restlessness because basically that, that, you know, what is stirring there may be contributing to the unsettled feelings. Um, and keep in mind that this is an internal process more than an external one. So uh, if you do feel that stress, keep in mind this is an inside job to work through. So in other words, don't reflect it out to others because, <laughs> you know, the, we're all having our own little inner moments, I guess you could say. Now, Venus crossing the south node, uh, Venus has been getting quite a workout in the skies. She has made a conjunction to Saturn. Last week she made, uh, or basically a few days before this, uh, you know, basically over the weekend, she made that conjunction to Pluto. And then this week she's going to be squaring Uranus later on in the week. And so this can mean a couple of things because the south node is kind of a release point uh, where we can let things go um, or, you know, put put a little nip that in the bud for good type of thing. And so Venus, you know, she is a relational planet. And so, I mean, on the extreme end of things, this could be an end of a relationship, especially if it hasn't worked for a long time. And, and that could be any type of relationship. That could be uh, you know, a, a romantic one that could be a working relationship, um, that can be uh, friends or acquaintances, you know, wherever we are essentially uniting with each other and maybe that's not working any longer, um, then possibly that could be the time to kind of shake free from that energy or that relationship or that tie. But it can also be our patterns and our habits and our behaviors and relationships because we are talking about uh, Capricorn here. Um, so, there could be something that is falling away, uh, maybe even a security issue or an insecurity issue um, that is uh, holding, you know, us back from being in harmony with ourselves and others. So look for the potential to release old old security issues or insecurity issues rather. And it could even be our own worth or uh, if worthiness issues are coming up that are affecting our ability to manifest our goals and ambitions or even our financial desires, which lead back to that security. So we're trying to root out here uh, maybe these old habits or, you know, uh, 
patterns or ways that we're just not opening up to letting ourselves, um, you know, really move past the, these old things where we're staying stuck there. Uh, so it really is an emotional release taking place, which I think that Uranus uh, making that transit later this week is is also helping to free up any stuck or dense energy that is getting in the way of our balance or our ability to unite with each other in a healthy and productive way. Um, so look out for that a Venus crossing of South Node on, on Monday and really the days surrounding it as well. So the bottom line for Monday is, is that last quarter is brewing as Luna has a two-part day with the first half of the day still in the depths of Scorpio and where we are feeling our way through emotional changes that are rooting in. Now, midday, Luna moves into Sagittarius with the emotional self feeling a bit restless and ready to move on. We are on the path to self-improvement, yet our feelings must comb through and question our beliefs and how they do or do not fit in uh, within the changing landscape. And so this is a time of learning and integrating uh, for the big picture. Now, on Tuesday, uh, that's technically our last quarter moon in Sagittarius. That's happening here at 328 a.m. on the Pacific Coast. So that is our square to the sun. That is last quarter. But then Luna is also going to square Neptune uh, later on in the evening. And we don't have any aspects perfecting that day. So the bottom line for Tuesday is, is that, you know, during the day, we are inspired about the potentialities that are on the horizon and become more aware of the motions we need to take to move things along. Our minds may be in the clouds as we are entertaining our ideals in regards to our expanding stories. So this day may feel pretty dreamy, especially in the evening as energy slows down and Luna makes that square to uh, Neptune, which is very otherworldly, you know, take us somewhere. Or we have the desire to escape uh, and be taken somewhere. Um, and that, uh, that escapism may be the matter of top priority. But there are healthy ways to escape as well, as meditation in this uh, in the evening may help to tap into spirit's directive with guidance coming in to help, you know, uh, initiate or activate uh, or direct in some way the next course of our movement. Uh, so keep a, an ear out for spirit uh, late on Tuesday. Now, on Wednesday, the moon is still in Sagittarius. She will make uh, an earlier morning conjunction to Jupiter, a square to Mercury, and then in the evening, she will make that trine to Uranus. And we also have the sun making a sextile to Mars that day. So let's look at that. Now, the sun is our, you know, that's our life force. It's what brings vitality, what brings conscious awareness, you know, if we're shining a spotlight on something. And whenever the sun makes a contact, essentially we are, we have the opportunity to turn a page because we are now aware enough to move forward. And so this being a sextile, it, you know, we have an opportunity. We have a door that is opening that we can walk through if we choose to do so. Now, where are we walking to? Well, that is Mars. Uh, and Mars is all about our drive and our motivation and where we assert ourselves and how we focus our action. 
And so, you know, we have Mars in methodical Taurus, uh, making a connection with the sun in Pisces. And I think that's allowing the opportunity to make steady progress in our work and our projects this week. Because, you know, Mars and Taurus can really just plod along and, and stay focused. Um, and as the sun is bringing awareness around our emotional uh, energy and maybe relational transitions that are taking place, because we are talking about a water sign here, uh, Mars can help ground that down um, and really uh, turn that energy into a positive thing that can help us kind of stick out the changing landscape and really assert ourselves one step at a time towards a solid direction. Like we are, our, our, our action energy is going to be very rooted. So if we have our minds on something or, and especially we got to keep in mind that Mars is represented by Venus and Venus is getting a lot of uh, energy this week. So wherever we are, you know, asserting ourselves, there is no, no turning back here. We are moving forward and we may not be moving ultra fast because Taurus has a little bit of a turtle pace to it, yet we are assured and assertive at this time, no matter what speed we are moving at, uh, and we are focused on the end result. And so we can take actions that to, you know, really help us gain control over our situations, um, yet merge with others in the process so that everyone's desires are moving forward, um, you know, when we're thinking about Venus there. So the bottom line for Wednesday is, is that life is speeding up today as we wake up connected to the optimism of what the future holds, and we may feel quite restless and excitable with that square to Mercury during the day. And so communications are likely to be up with a lot of ideas swirling about that, you know, maybe lead to action taking place since the sun is sextiling Mars. Yet it also brings the ability to, you know, maybe have a little mental drain or just kind of being like too much going on and it can be a little bit overwhelming. And so we can expect movement, especially with the sun sextile to Mars, uh, making it a good day to root down the transitions that are being made in our lives. Now, on Thursday, the moon is in Capricorn now, and we'll make a trine to Mars and then a sextile to the sun. And so uh, the Venus-Uranus square is brewing, yes, but we don't have any aspects taking place on Thursday other than um, Luna's. And she's doing that every day. So <laughs> the bottom line for Thursday is that the energy contracts as Luna moves into the practical earth of Capricorn. And we are likely focused on the work and duties that are before us. And so all the possibilities that were swirling around in the days prior now get honed down into what needs manifestation most. And we are willing to work hard, taking one step at a time. Um, now, our approach is likely methodical as we are aligned to the long term with the reminder that slow and steady wins the race. And so conscious awareness flows with our emotional faculty, faculty and we are feeling, um, you know, we're starting to feel at one with our current ambitions. Like things are kind of lining up and we're just feeling good on Thursday, I think. Like there's, there's a directive taking place uh, and we have our eye on the prize, so to speak. Now, on Friday, the moon is in Capricorn still, and we'll make a sextile to Neptune early in the morning, and then a conjunction to Saturn and Pluto. Fun, fun, fun. <laughs> That's sarcasm. Um, but, you know, there's some good things happening. It's 
bound to be a lively time, especially at this the end of the week here. And that is because Venus is squaring Uranus. Uh, and then we'll move into Aquarius not long after. So obviously, Venus is squaring Uranus at the 29th degree of cardinal signs. So this is, you know, there is a test taking place, essentially. Now, Venus. Venus is our planet that is all about where we open up, you know, how we cultivate balance and harmony in our lives, how we relate to other people, no matter what that relationship looks like, um, and how well we integrate and, and are able to become one with something, um, but also our worth and what it is that we value. And so we are receiving a square, which always brings some type of action, events, you know, we are pushing forward. There may be tension, challenges. Um, it's nobody's fault. We are just, it's just where we're at and, and things are moving. And so what things are moving? And that's Uranus, who is the planet of the, it's the great awakener, you know, where we are awakened to something and there could be a turnaround taking place, especially in cardinal signs. You know, there may be a reversal of energy. Um, and so there could be some sudden storms that are brewing at this time, but essentially it's trying to lift us and raise the vibration higher. And so, you know, like I said, first Venus met Saturn conjunction, then Pluto, and now she has uh, the tension of what is in need of liberation with that square to Uranus. Now, relations with others are bound to be stimulated and unpredictable, uh, especially in this latter half of the week. And we may be tested on where we are willing to or not willing to open up. Um, and we are likely to be aligning with our own rigid demands, and that may cause tension. Because keep in mind, Uranus is in Taurus, so the self is definitely speaking here. And it's also possible that impatience or fights with others may come about in this process, you know, because we all have our own agenda taking place. And so it may be a little bit harder to open up to other people in the process. And so there's tension there. And so the key here uh, with that rigidity is to be flexible because, you know, if we can bend with the windy gusts of Uranus, uh, we won't break, right? So we need to be a little bit flexible because ultimately we are going to be challenged to embrace an influence that is trying to free us from stagnant energy so that we can raise ourselves higher. Um, So expect the unexpected and do your best to use the energy constructively as there may be turnarounds and reversals of positions taking place. Now, Venus then moves into Aquarius uh, not too long after she makes that square. And so after all this action, our gal Venus leaves the density of Capricorn uh, behind and then heads into the detached air of Aquarius for probably a much-needed lift-up. And now Venus is our social gal, and in Aquarius, she is more likely to be open, uh, you know, to the world around her and willing to mingle with all types of different people and different situations and a variety of engagements or, you know, getting out there with the group or the populace. And so we can expect, uh, you know, social events to spring up and really all types of conversation to arise as she becomes a bit more outgoing than she was for the, you know, the last handful of weeks. We've kind of been tucked into ourselves and our our duties. 
And so we are also more willing to entertain the unusual or possibly unconventional proposals that we would not normally consider because, you know, Aquarius gets a little freaky, but in a good way. (laughs) So, uh, you know, keep in mind that relationship energy is probably getting some space, you know, especially if we're talking about all the things that Venus uh, went through earlier in that conjunction to South Node. So if you do uh, need space in a relationship of some sort, um, especially to regain harmony or recollect the self or see where this is even headed in the future, you know, this might be a a good time to uh, help detach and get an understanding of where, you know, everything's headed. Um, And, you know, when you get that space, chances are harmony may arise in places that we least expect uh, because Aquarius, you know, shakes it up, tries new things. So be open to what's fresh and different and innovative, um, and you'll probably find that the future is more appealing than the confines of the past because Venus will be focused on the future. And so Venus will be in Aquarius, which is good for you Aquarius is out there, until March 26th. So use that time to look as best as you possibly can. Now, the bottom line for Friday is to watch for dreams this morning as there may be some spiritual messages coming in with that sextile to Neptune. Um, Now, the day may feel a bit limiting and possibly intense as Luna crosses over both Saturn and Pluto, uh, who are getting very close to one another in conjunction there. And that will be happening all year, just heads up, folks. Um, So it may feel like a part of ourselves uh, in the world is dying to be replaced by a new incarnation that is on the brew. And with Venus also meeting Uranus, we are opening to the shaking off of psychic debris that keeps us from manifesting our personal desires in the world. And so this day can feel very solid and empowering if emotions are secure, yet if insecurity or negativity arises, there may be a depressive element uh, that you will need to shake. So uh, pay attention to your emotional tone uh, around this time, especially on Friday, because it will show you, you know, what progress probably still needs to be made. Now, on Saturday, the moon is still in Capricorn, but will move to Aquarius around late morning here on the Pacific coast, and she will make a sextile to Mercury, a square to Uranus, and then a conjunction to Venus. And so we don't have any more aspects perfecting for the rest of the week, so we are just going to get down to moon business here. And so the bottom line for Saturday is, is that we are likely to wake up feeling the Venus uh, square to Uranus today as the moon is lighting up that square configuration, especially in the morning here. So there may be some unexpected breakthroughs or shocks that come to the system, yet it's doing so to help us raise higher in the material world um, and doing so off our own leadership and our own directive. You know, I this could feel very like, like I, I'm finally free. You know, it, this doesn't have to be a bad thing because we're just trying to shake it out. And so with Mercury also sextiling in, uh, communications or news may get that party started or or brew that storm, you know. So something that comes in uh, may kind of get that, you know, kicked up a little bit. Or it could be possible that we intuit the message needed to help us turn around that energy um, because Mercury is in Pisces. So there is that, you know, sheath that is, you know, all these things that are coming from behind the veil are like seeping in basically. 
And uh, do note that Mercury is beginning to station this weekend for his upcoming retrograde cycle that will start uh, on Tuesday of next week. So do not be surprised if mix-ups begin to present themselves or we have information coming in that is meant to be chewed over and processed in the uh, in the weeks to come here. So, you know, kind of be on the lookout for what comes in, especially on Saturday, because it might tip you off to uh, what really needs to be reviewed and worked through during the retrograde. And so midday, the energy then shifts and then lightens in Aquarius, and we can air out that denseness as our viewpoint rises and our emotions begin to detach. Now on Sunday, the moon is in Aquarius fully, and the only contact she will make will be a square to Mars. Um, And so the bottom line for Sunday is is that we close out the week with Luna in the airy domain of Aquarius, Uh, yet she is challenged by that midday square to Mars that may have us feeling a little on the irritated side, especially if we don't get the space or the peace and quiet we need. Yet that energy is action-inducing, and with both signs in fixed territory, we may have an idea or an innovation that we can act on to root down into practical reality or practical form of some sort. And so tension may come in if we can't move fast enough, you know, because Aquarius, the moon wants us to go faster, but the the body can only move so fast when Mars is in Taurus there. Um, but, you know, I think if we remain detached enough, we can see that all good things take time. And so that's kind of the blessing of this uh, Martian energy. Now, to wrap it all up, we are pushing forward into new territory that is mostly taking place as an inside job, while we are also crossing a threshold that helps to incite significant emotional shifts. Take the opportunity to lay out a fixed groundwork, for if you open up to what's awakening within, you'll find yourself ascending to a more harmonious reality. So now let's take a look at the cards because they always add a little extra something, something in there. Uh, And this week I drew the Queen of Wands as the focus and the Emperor as the grounding. And so with the Queen of Wands as the focus, we are asked to nurture our courage this week and to stay determined for the goals and passions that we hold for ourselves. It's very Mars and Taurus there. And so this fiery queen is fierce and bold and has a strong independent spirit that calls for complete honesty and authenticity. She cares about others, yet will also do what is needed to look out for number one. She knows what she wants and is ready to do whatever it takes to secure that passionate desire. So I see a lot of last quarter in Sagittarius and Venus squaring Uranus and Aries uh, in that card. Now, with the emperor as the grounding, we have another authoritative influence here and a major arcana card at that. So that is suggesting that this week is uh, really a time to step up into our own personal authority in a way that can help organize our lives through focus and foundation um, and manifestation, essentially. And so with all this passion, there needs to be structure. And this being the card of the fatherly figure suggests that this framework is grounded in logic and reason, while also having the ambition and the confidence needed to manifest your intentions. So I find these two cards together to be very empowering this week. Now, last but certainly not least, this show is brought to you by this week's animal ambassador, the buffalo. 
This hardy beast is here to remind us not to get caught up in the belief of lack and limitation, for the abundance we need is all around us if we have the faith that it is there. Knowing that we are provided for in all ways can help us give to others without strings and to be generous with life in general. And by doing so, we connect more deeply with the people around us and the world at large. So align yourself with this state of abundance and give gratitude that your needs are met and then some. All right. So now if you'd like to go deeper with the energy of the week and how that will, you know, contact you personally, I encourage you to check out my tarot subscription on Patreon. Uh, and you don't need to be this tarot expert. You just need a card deck or even an oracle deck. And I uh, do these spreads to help kind of, you know, get you in touch with what I'm talking about here, but then add that personal um, element by, you know, whatever cards come up for those positions. And so they come out each Sunday, uh, and it also comes out with the podcast early. So if you are signed up for this, you also get the early podcast, and you get my Moon Animal Monthly, and it's uh only $6 per month. So to come on down and uh, join us, you know, last week we worked on examining life and this week we're going to be working on what lies beneath. So if you want to find out more and check out a freebie spread, which you can access on the left-hand side of my Patreon page, um, you'll see that under uh, uh, tarot subscription, I believe it'll take you right there. You can do so over at patreon.com backslash energetic principles. Okay, now let's meet our guest. All right, I'm so happy to welcome back this week's guest, Christina Caudill. Uh, Thank you for being on the podcast again. Hi, Melissa. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored that you asked me back. Oh, well, I'm honored that you are here and I'm so excited because I really want to do an episode on Chiron and Chiron moving into Aries in particular in specific. And the only person that popped in my mind was you. So it just seemed like... Oh my God. I'm so excited you said saying that because it seems like everyone's talking about Chiron, but I feel very Chiron and Aries myself because that's my natal sign. Well, (laughs) clearly there was a message coming through to be like, contact Christina. Like there was like a wall block in my mind. There was not another person there. And I was like, well, why struggle here? (laughs) Go straight to the source Uh, on how perfect that you have Chiron in Aries too, because we'll get like a little bit of a personal touch um, with understanding that placement, I think. Uh, But before we get started here on all the things we could possibly talk about with Chiron, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you. Um, I'm an evolutionary astrologer and you can find me online at radiantastrology.com. Um, and I'm also a transformational life coach. And so my one-on-one sessions are mostly very sort of empowering in nature. Um, I also do eclipse circles. So not only am I the Chiron gal. I'm also the eclipse gal. So you can always think of me when the eclipses come. Um, And so there are women's circles that are very healing and empowering that I run every eclipse season. Um, And I really believe in the transformational power of astrology um, and how the more we can bring our awareness to the potential of our natal chart, the more that we can live in alignment with you know, all the potentials of our destiny and really live a life that is deeply meaningful. And I think that's ultimately what our soul wants us 
wants out of us in this lifetime. Mm, I love it. That's beautiful. And you just finished up a little uh, eclipse circle, right? Because we had our eclipses in January. How did that go for you? That was amazing. They seem to be getting, you know, bigger and more in depth. I've been doing them for about five years now. And um, and they just kind of came about just sort of intuitively. And um, and each eclipse circle is really tailored toward that eclipse cycle or, you know, that, e- that eclipse period. Mm-hmm. And we just had that big shift from the Leo Aquarius axis where the eclipses were for a couple of years now into um, Cancer and Capricorn. And so that, that was like a noticeable shift. It's funny because we had, I guess I had a lot more Leo types before. And this time I had a lot more, for some reason, the Capricorns were really showing up. Oh, really? Yeah. You would think it would be the North Node people, but no, it was the Capricorns that wanted to get a handle on their destiny, you know, like to get that control. And that was part of the lesson is, you know, how much can we find that balance between the sort of, you know, that, that needing to control, needing to be an adult and mature of Capricorn and find sort of the softness and the femininity and the care of cancer. And so it's, it's really beautiful to be in circle with women who were all exploring this together. Oh, I love that. And it doesn't surprise me that Capricorn really showed up, especially as we're about to have the Saturn-Pluto conjunction, you know, just all these planets riding through there. And mm-hmm. it almost seems like a lot of maybe South Node material that has to kind of like come up and work through this to kind of end up on that other side of Cancer. Um, and when you think about, you know, what a women's circle is, that's very mm-hmm. Cancerian, you yes. know, it's very common, this place is safe. We'll give you lots of care, but yet we also were there to support each other's leadership in the world, support, you know, all the stuff that we're being called toward because you, you, you can't get away from Saturn. You can't get away from Pluto, especially if it's coming for you, coming right for you because you're a Capricorn. Um, but <laughs> that, that's part of the lesson is to, I've got to show up powerfully in the world, but I also need care and nur- nourishment mm. and nurturance. Yes. Oh, wow. And so I have a feeling your eclipse circles are going to be pretty magical this, you know, 18 month period, especially the summer one that's going to be coming up when it'll actually be the North Node um, end of things versus kind of starting out in the South Node placement. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah we, well, the, we, the summer one, we're definitely going to go all in for mm-hmm. um, because then the following ones are going to be like right at Christmas time, right? You know, yes. I think there's one like the day after Christmas. So probably for the first time in, you know, several, as long as I've been doing this, I might not do a live one during that time because that's also my birthday. That's also, you know, a lot of Capricorn birthdays. And it's very sort of, you know, time for family and everything. So I might take that one off. But um, but in the summer, we're going to be going all in. Mm. Sure. <laughs> well, you mark your calendars and keep a lookout for when Christina offers that. And I do have to say, it's kind of perfect if you do put it aside for the Capricorn season, because that would show the personal nurturing that you need for the North Node in Cancer, you know? To be well, I'll probably do like a video series or something. I won't yeah. leave people hanging, people hanging completely. And then we're, we'll be getting into 2020, you know, yes. and there's a, there's an eclipse conjunct Jupiter then. Okay. So who knows, you know, who knows what'll happen? Maybe I'll end up, 
even going bigger. I don't know. <laughs> but the eclipse and Capricorn is conjunct Jupiter at the end of the year. Um, so that's going to be a big one. So I, I, I'm almost first, you know, I want to get a sense of what might happen for me before yeah. I commit to anything. <laughs> I, I get that. I get that. <laughs> For sure. Well, I'm glad it went well and that you're, notice, you're noticing noticeable differences of what's needed in each eclipse period. That's, um, I'm sure that helps inform your practice a lot. Uh, going oh, forward. absolutely. Yeah, because so much of astrology, you know, even when we work with one-on-one clients or, or, you know, even with ongoing people, I mean, ultimately, I think astrology is really meant to be embodied. You know, we're meant to explore it. And it's, usually the setup is an astrologer, you know, tells the person what might happen in their life, how they can be prepared and that's it. But that's, that's not really using it at, you know, for its real transformational and healing potential. So when we have women together, everyone part of that container, everyone contributing in some way, um, then we can really even go deeper. I mean, I always learn something. My, you know, and I have staff now, they learn something. We have um, the students that have graduated, they come back as angels. So they're like course, so they support the course by um, being there for the students even more on like a one-on-one basis. And they, we do inner circles too. So we have one main circle and inner circles of like four or five students and an angel. And it, so it's like totally organized now. It's not like, oh, come into the circle. We've got like this whole system. And the intention is we're bringing heaven to earth. So just like the angels and archangels are looking down upon us and sort of guiding us and, 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 and as we make decisions, they're helping guide us along and, and nudge us along. That's what we do. We invite people to the center of the circle. And it's like we, in communion with them, are looking at their lives kind of from a little, you know, Aquarian distance. Yeah. Um, so that we can like explore and examine their lives and the astrology with them. And it's a really beautiful experience. Oh, yes. It sounds, uh, I feel like, you know, they say two heads are better than one, but if you put like, you know, seven heads all together, you just, it seems like a very uh, communal offering to have that spirit meet earth, which also seems to have a very much of a chironic flavor to it as well, which we'll get into here in a little bit as well. Um, so, I mean, what, just overall, like if you were to sum up a quick vibe of how this year has been, like on your end as an astrologer, you know, because we've had a lot of crazy uh, transit, not crazy, but you know, there's been some activity. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> okay, she's like, you can go there. You're allowed to go there. <laughs> oh. I mean, you mean 2019 so far? So far, yeah. Yeah, what are we? We're only in February. I know. <laughs> I know, because I think last time we talked was in October. So it's been a hot second. And we wow. talked on, uh, I think it was uh, Scorpio season and mm-hmm. the full moon in Taurus. And we were talking about all that was going on in the women's movement and things along those lines. And Isn't it interesting, the flavor of, you know, these these few months changing and morphing and everything. And um, I've been looking forward to this whole, you know, Chiron and Aries transit because the last time, you know, last year, 2018, when Chiron ingressed Aries mm-hmm. April 17th um, and was there through September, um, I was noticing not only myself, but in a lot of my clients, a sense of a renewed sense of empowerment 
um, which, you know, we hear about Chiron being, you know, about wounding, right? It's the wounded healer. And it, and it most often does sort of trigger us with a wound, with some kind of like vulnerability, mm. but that's not where it ends. You know, it's so multi, multifaceted, multivalent. And um, one thing that I was seeing a lot were people saying, you know, I'm done being a victim. I'm done letting so-and-so victimize me. I'm done, you know, wallowing in the guilt about something. I'm ready to, to start a new phase to move on. And that to me is symbolic of Chiron crossing that threshold, you know, the final sign of the final, um, you know, the final degree of the final sign of Zodiac and, uh, the Zodiac in Pisces and then crossing the threshold into Aries. There was, there was a major shift there. Um, and then also, you know, a couple months later, we had Uranus and Taurus and that was, you know, another yeah. sort of groundbreaking <laughs> sort of shift. Um, but the Chiron and Aries, you know, we can talk about more about the symbolism. But, you know, one thing that I noticed that really stood out was, you know, um, Ariana Grande's song, um, No More Tears, No Tears Left to Cry. You hear that one last year? If I heard it, I probably would. I'm just, I'm not really up on popular music, but I'm yeah, sure. I'm not either. If I heard it, I'd be like, I've heard that before. Somehow it came through in my world. I don't listen yeah. to music either, but maybe it was, it was obviously synchronicity um, yeah. because it, um, she, let's see, she recorded, she released it. No Tears Left to Cry, right? Okay, so that was the song that she wrote after, um, you know, the bombing at her concert. Remember she had that oh, yeah. concert like a year before or something. 22 people died. In London, right? I think it was. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, or somewhere in Europe. And so she, after that, she took some time off from writing and recording because it was such a traumatic event. Um, and then she finally sort of pulled herself together and then she wrote this song called No Tears Left to Cry, which was, it's kind of strange. It's a little bit, it starts off as a ballad and then it becomes a like, I'm ready to dance, you know, I'm done crying, I'm ready to dance. <laughs> uh-huh. And and that song released um, Midnight Worldwide, it premiered worldwide at Midnight Eastern on April 20th. Oh. So that was just three days after Chiron ingressing Aries. and. Um, to me, and at the time the moon was at zero degrees cancer. So there was a moon Chiron square on the Aries point. And then, you know, she was very much in the news last year because then what ended up happening is eventually after Chiron retrograded back into Pisces, her ex-boyfriend died of an overdose. Mm. Um, and then her current boyfriend then was threatening suicide and then she came out, there was a tweet I saw that she came out with. It said, hey guys, remember when I said I had no more tears left to cry and the universe said, ha ha ha, you stupid girl or whatever, you know? <laughs> and it's like, whoa, you know, I, I felt like overall, if we look at sort of one overall type of experience, mm-hmm. there was an impulse chironic impulse to break free you know i'm done crying i've cried myself out i want to start over and put all that drama and trauma behind me and we had a few months of that and then when chiron going back into pisces we might have felt kind of drawn back into the ocean of 
can I really do this? There's more processing I need to do. Um, getting lost again on our path, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, going back into some regret or guilt. Um, <clears throat> and so the potential, again, it depends on how much or how Chiron is aspecting your chart or where your mm-hmm. Chiron is. But there's a potential that we could, you know, once again, find our footing and find some momentum um, to, even though we're wounded in some way, even though we have a vulnerability, you know, we can have the courage to strike out again, you know, to whether it be to lead or to find our courage, even if it's not perfect or not what we envisioned, but we want to go forth anyway, you know, mm, we want to move yeah. forward anyway. Uh, that's that's a wonderful uh, way to encapsulize, basically, especially through that story for the last year, because I kind of I felt the same thing. Where coincidentally enough, this podcast was started um, the day before Chiron moved into Aries, <laughs> um, yeah. and I, there was a, a solid momentum in, I felt in my life because I had you know things got messy, which I'll add another thing to that in a second here um, before that ingress, and then yeah, everything was riding. I'm feeling good. And then sure enough, when Chiron moves back into Pisces and where we've been for, you know, a handful of months now, there was that, oh, wait, there is still more to get through. Oh, wait, there are these pains here that I haven't quite, you know, fully dived into, or maybe there's new evidence on that that I have to seed through before, you know, you can really go forward uh, within this new area that we're going to be in for, you know, a good amount of time here. Um, but also note, I think of why it may be so messy and why there might be so many tears and maybe why uh, Ariana Grande had, you know, losing significant others and a, bo- a boyfriend talking about suicide is that, you know, Chiron's been dancing over the fixed star sheet right there uh, at the right. tail end of Pisces, which is a very messy fixed star. And it is associated with situations such as, you know, suicide or drowning. Um, but also thinking outside the box and having to like get beyond all, all that. Um, and it's almost like messy in a way that there's just no boundary. And that's why we can kind of push the limits with things, but we can also get siphoned into that as well. And so, yeah, things are it's kind of messy. It's a messy situation. We're there right now too, or we're, we were, you know, now we've crossed, we've crossed the threshold as of last week. But <laughs> I, you know, I really think I felt that placement personally. Yeah. Um, Do you have other uh, planets that would be aspecting it, you think? I'm uh, not in that particular... Well, I mean, it is at that point getting into a square with my Venus and Cancer. Um, it's close enough, but... In my own chart, I have a very, my chart has a lot of Chiron, (laughs) a lot of Chiron in this chart. Um, I have, so basically I was born with Chiron conjunct the descendant. Um, So whenever Chiron's on an angle, you know, that really puts things into the forefront as far as that planet's concerned. Um, What sign is it? Are you? I'm a Taurus. I'm Taurus. I'm in Taurus. Um, And within that, so it's on the descendant um, and it forms uh, one of those uh, mystical rectangles (laughs) with, with my sun, my moon, my ascendant and Uranus. 
Um, I have a mystical rectangle too. Yeah, well, I, you know, and I can't even tell you quite what that means, to be honest. I'm like, it looks good. I like that. But I love the name of it being mystical. I know, right? right? <laughs> I'm with you on that. I'm like, I'll take and that. And it's blue for the most yeah. part. <laughs> right? That's <laughs> Now, that's an astrologer joke. If you look at charts and you see the different aspect colors. Um, but it's also conjunct my part of fortune and it, uh, it's trine Saturn, it's square Mercury and Jupiter. Uh, and it's parallel my midheaven. And so it's just all things, everything in my chart for the most part is contacting Chiron. And you know what's so funny is that on the way to kind of prep for our talk here, it just dawned on me about Chiron stationing um, in a progressed chart. And for some reason that came into my mind, I looked at my own chart and Chiron is stationing on May 12th of this year in my progressed chart. And and I mean, I'll have to look at how that plays out, of course, but it was just so funny that it popped into my head as something to take, maybe take note of, and then it's happening for me, you know, like, um, so yeah, anyways, it's a lot of Chiron. And, uh, so I, I can feel it as we go through some of these archetypes and we discuss what's going on with this, uh, planet, planetoid comet. Well, let me ask you, when did um, Chris Brennan mention your podcast? Because I remember him, I never hear him mentioning other podcasts. I was listening to his podcast and he mentioned yours and yours was like brand new. And I was like, well, good for her. And he raved about it. Do you remember when that was? That was like... I think that was, I want to say at the end of August or early uh, September. Actually, you know what? It must have been in September because I think at that point, actually, I know exactly when that was because that's the when the sun was conjunct my north node and Saturn. And uh, so that's nine degrees, 10 degrees Virgo. So we're looking at uh, probably mid, mid, maybe September 12th-ish, September. Uh, let me see. Nine earlier. degrees would be... Actually more fifth. September, September 5th, 1st. Okay. Okay. So Chiron was still in Aries. Yeah. Because you like, you had a lot of momentum early on. Yeah. And so, but you know what's so funny is that's a funny spot for me in my chart um, as well, because exactly on that time, the year prior, uh, that's when our um, president of our Astrological Society, April Kent, asked me to step into the president role for our group. So there's this, and my North Node is in Virgo in the 11th house, you know. Where did you say, where's your Saturn? Uh, In the same place. So uh, North Node is nine degrees Virgo, Saturn's uh, 10 degrees Virgo. Okay. So yes, blessing and a curse. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I I was seeing this theme year after year as the sun was hitting this point where I was being recognized um, with four even more responsibility. Yeah, (laughs) yes. And in a communal way, you know, because one was, uh, you know, stepping up to help lead a a local organization. This was noticing a, uh, you know, how I'm connecting with the community, sharing astrology. So it's, it's all based off of recognition. You know, it's a very solar thing, especially since I have the midheaven and Leo, you know, the sun is going to trigger those uh, recognition uh, points. Um, and yeah, no, I just thought that was, that was interesting. So. <laughs> and this venture of yours, the, um, you know, the podcast, something you're doing on your own, you know, that's very airy. Well, and, you know, yeah. and that was because it was started during Aries. Right. And, uh, but it was started out of doing a joint podcast with another person, we, you know, Libra, we're talking here on the other side of things that didn't work out. <laughs> yeah. oh, isn't that great how 
And to me, I think that's a very Chiron and Aries thing. It's like the thing didn't work out, but I'm going ahead anyway. Anyways, yes. Doing it myself. And you know what's funny, and to tie Chris Brennan in here, and I don't know if he's listening to this or not, but I had a dream around that time when the when before I initiated this new podcast, uh, where him and I were friends in my dream, and we were just it was just a casual dream where we were just talking about stuff, you know, doing whatever. And I woke up thinking, hey, well, if I don't have this other endeavor, now I can start my own thing and bring on my own guests. And like part of the podcast that I had going before, which was, I I had fun with that podcast. It was great. But but my realization through it was that I was um, giving up some of my own, you know, essence to like blend in with this, you know, partnership dynamic. Chiron on the seventh house, right? If we're talking about Chiron conjunct the descendant. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, so that dream kind of just made it apparent in my mind that I could, could do essentially what he's doing, not in the same way at all, but, you know, kind of in a similar format where I get to talk with several different people, you know, it's opening up community. So before where I'm just talking with one person over and over, I was able to open it up to like a wider uh, breadth of ideas from other people, which I just find fascinating. So, <laughs> Yeah. And that's more you, you know? Exactly. I think, and you know what, this is the thing. I mean, we don't, we don't like conflict. We, you know, we want every, we want to be nice. We want to be seen as a nice person. We want everybody to be okay and everything like that. But, you know, these conflicts and these separations and these, I got to go on my own. They so much, I mean, you growth, it usually happens from that. I mean, especially when you talk about, exponential growth, you know, like growth that you never would have if you were depending on another or, you know, yeah. if you had to check in with someone all the time or, um, so, I mean, I was even looking at like the charts of, let me see, I think it was like Carl Jung and, uh, Sigmund Freud, which one of them, um, I'm pretty sure it was Carl Jung yeah. had Chiron and Aries yes, or him. North Node and Aries or something like that. They were mm-hmm. both, I think. I'll have to look that up. I have had that written down somewhere. I think you're right about that because I was just reading that not too long ago um, in, in Melanie Reinhardt. I think it was Melanie Reinhardt's book. Um, yes, it says, oh, I have this here. Jung had the North Node and Chiron and Aries. And when he wrote from Sigmund Freud, who had been his father figure, I mean, it was an intense nervous breakdown. I mean, he went into psychosis. And that is, then he created his Red Book, which not until way after he died was seen as one of his greatest works. Um, it was, but it's where he was using his active imagination. And it's where he finally formed his own ideas. And we probably wouldn't have Jungian analysis if that break didn't happen, if that break wasn't so devastating, because it, it actually was quite devastating for him, probably for both men. But um you know, sometimes these things have to happen and they can feel like a soul wound. It can feel, mm. you know, ancient or it can feel like it just goes so to the depths of our soul. But, um, you know, especially in Aries, it's like, you know, now what do we do? It's like when we have these faded events happen to us, our destiny is what we do with those faded events. You know, it's like it was, you know, if it was faded that these two were to separate, that's where you have, you actually have your free will and free will is an Aryan thing that then you can d- decide, am I going to be a maverick? 
Am I going to, you know, rise to what I've always been dreaming to do? You know, or am I going to shift course? I mean, I think the other thing, the other challenge I see with just Chiron in general is because, you know, it's a planetoid, it's a comet. It, it has this really strange orbit that mostly goes through Saturn, between Saturn and Uranus. And sometimes it goes all the way out to Neptune. Um, but it is, you know, it's the maverick planet, as they call it, as Charles Kowal, who discovered it, called it, um, because we don't know what to expect from it. And that, those chironic experiences are kind of like, we've got to forge our own path. You know, there's like no pathway there already. And we got to forge it ourselves. And I see people struggling when, you know, they say they want to be creative and original and unique. But then they say, oh my God, I'm so multi-passionate. I have so many things, but I don't know what to do with them. I don't know what to call myself. I don't know what to... But it's like, that's, that is the beauty. That is the part of it. It's like, you get to decide. You, know? yeah. you get to, you know, the whole point of forging your own path is there's no path already. And yes, that's scary because there's no plan. But um, if you really feel like I have something special I need to share, right? I'm just compelled to express myself in a certain way, then you do that path or no, you know? Mm, yeah. Well, and it's interesting because with, well, especially with Chiron and Aries, how there is that kind of like looking to a, another, um, maybe too much or like looking outside of you as to maybe what's reflected back to kind of get that sense of identity. Um, and so that can be, and I mean, I found myself struggling with that just with the, you know, this ingress in the last year or so, you know, as uh, I mean, my personal life, aside from the things I just shared, had, had twisted and turned enough ways where I just, you know, I woke up one morning like, what now? You know, who am I now? <laughs> like, what is this? Who now? am I? Yeah. That who is am I now? And I mean, and you know, I don't have an answer for that. And the thing is, is that perhaps you don't necessarily need to, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. there doesn't have to be a solid definition on, on that. But just listen- when you think of it and something that just came to my mind was, yeah. because I remember Melanie Reinhardt always said that the Chiron in Aries is about, you know, your identity, you know, and it's the identity, you know, we see Aries is in the first house, you know, the mask we wear to the world, um, you know, especially with the ascendant, but in Aries, you know, there's a certain like I am and what about me? And, you know, that sort, that form of identity that really is the identity that kind of other people almost form for you or you form in you know, in some sort of dynamic with others, you know, because your independence, even just the the concept of independence means independence from what, you know? (laughs) right. (laughs) And so I think that who am I? It's like that really, the real personal, um, the, the real identity that we form for ourselves, at least in evolutionary astrology, is more of a fourth house cancer thing and I see things that comes like from deep within yeah. you know who are you in your private life your private self in your sanctuary within um, and that is really where that needs to form in order to then be expressed you know for in the AC and in in terms of the descendant and in the MC you know it's the wellspring Yes. Um, so it's returning to that in, inner, you know, the room within yourself. It was actually um, a friend of mine, we were just talking that we we're both in Jungian analysis and we've both been just experiencing such a, you know, such the richness of, of our 
subconscious. And he said he had a vision that he entered a room within a room um, in his dream. And he said that was what Jungian analysis had given him, that there was this, a room of his own, you know, there was just this private part of himself that he discovered through doing dream work and, and, um, active imagination. And that, that just felt like a sense of safety is kind of what I got from that, this internal safety. And, um, and even whether or not, you know, we feel wounded or insecure or vulnerable or whatever damaged, there's always a part of the soul that isn't. I mean, the soul is never damaged. You know, the soul is always pure and and radiant. And so that's what we always want to kind of remember that as, as much as we may feel wounded and someone so wounded me or I'm just bad and wounded because that's who I am. That's how these Chiron transits can sometimes feel. But really, we need to remember that we have a soul that is not wounded and not ever damaged. It's, it's, in, um, it's indestructible, basically. Well, and how perfect if, if uh, Young had never experienced that, you know, Chironic <laughs> displacement, you wouldn't be in his uh, therapy right now. You know, like we're coming full circle, even just talking Let's about see, his. We have a mutual Pluto South Node conjunction. Oh. Like, a mutual, like, yeah, my Pluto is on his South Node and his Pluto is on my South Node. So I think that means something. I think, yeah. It, I think it's- past life expressions of one another. <laughs> no, I wouldn't dare like say that I'm not close to young. But well, um, who knows? Maybe there were previous life experiences and other, you know, it shapes and I like to think maybe where, in some life. Hey, was, it's yeah, totally po- anything's possible. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and to go, I mean, even to pull back to my own story and, and what you were just saying, you know, uh, Chiron, like a uh, part of its mythology um, was when he was, when he was born, uh, he was rejected by his mother. And so there was an initial wounding uh, based off of rejection. And even my own story here where I, you know, I propelled myself into my own podcast was actually through a rejection because it wasn't my decision to stop the previous podcast. It was someone else's. And I had experienced a similar pattern uh, about a year prior to that where I was also rejected through something. And I was like, why is this happening to me? You know, all the tears coming down. Especially but- being a... Um- Scorpio rising. I know. Goodness. That would, you would have to add a lot of people to your revenge list. (laughs) (laughs) I've learned, it's funny. I have a song about uh, revenge. I wrote a song, um, not about my own revenge. I've had dealt with my own revenge issues. I've let that go because I know that doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't serve it. Yeah, karma is the best revenge. (laughs) Uh, But I actually wrote a song, um, uh, Around the time that Uranus moved into Aries, uh, talking about revenge based off of people that go, uh, about a a fictional character who went out and did a mass shooting, basically. Mm Because that's when mass shootings were starting to really rise. And I felt, um, I I, I was just tapping into it. I was like, what vengeance must this person feel to want to go out there and, you know, the just destruct everything. Like, and so that's an, another story there. But I mean, at some extent, there has to be a rejection uh, to want that 
vengeance. Something has to go wrong or be painful. You know, that's the thing with Chiron is that the wound is triggered um, and it never goes away. And if I look back at my own, you know, history, I grew, grew up without a father. And, um, and so there's initial kind of rejection there. And then also when I look at my chart, because there's a lot you can look from derived houses once you start getting into charts and seeing where things play within what, you know, I have Chiron on my descendant. Uh, and essentially the seventh house is the 10th from the 10th, which is your mother's mother. Mm-hmm. And one of my greatest woundings is my grandmother and the rejection from her when we were so close. And so there was, you know, there, there is this theme of that rejection and that doesn't make me, you know, lesser or not worthy of a person. You know, that's a very Taurus, Chiron type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, there are these painful experiences that are setting up certain... We take um, them in. Yeah, we take yeah, them we take as part of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that's where the, the uh, you know, management of the wound and the healing needs to take place because all those prior, uh, si- you know, situations had to take place in order to initiate us into, you know, what the journey will be down the road. So and I'm, I'm glad that you bring that up because even regardless of, you know, what sign Chiron is transiting in or, you know, where it's going, you know, when we have those early wounding experiences, when we're just shaping, you know, mm-hmm. our own identity, our own sense of self, the experiences we have with, you know, the, the family of origin or those around us, the caregivers, that becomes, we, we think, we make that become part of us, become part of our story. And the thing with Chiron is it's about the wounding, but it's also about the healing too. You know, it's having the courage and the insight to flip the script on the story of our identity, you know, and, and be able to heal at that level. Yeah. And to pull it back to what you're saying too, about kind of taking Chiron more to the bottom of the chart and having that cancer influence and, you know, cancer being, you know, the home of the self, but also the ancestry in the past and where we come from and how a lot of those early wounds are, you know, initiated through that, you know, familial type of situation. And, you know, I have to say that probably came from my chart because I have Chiron conjunct the IC. Oh, do you? <laughs> Well, what, I mean, what's your experience been as far as that's concerned? I mean, paraphrase and words you'd like more, to share. Yeah. But. <laughs> well, it's more kind of in my third house. You know, it's like, it's, I think about four degrees for my, um, four or five degrees for my IC and it's in the third house. And so for me, sister issues, um, okay. you know, and it's so interesting that now a lot of what I work on, you know, a lot of my work is sisterhood. Oh, um, but, and healing that sister wound, if you want to call it that, um, and around sisterhood and things like that. And also what sisterhood is and what it isn't. Um, you know, it isn't about owing someone something just because you're in a sisterhood together, you know, and placing guilt and placing shame because you expect things. And, um, and so I've actually had some of those conversations this year too. Um, around that. It's like, okay, when we're supporting one another in a quote-unquote sisterhood, that also doesn't mean that we can't have appropriate boundaries and, and sovereignty and respect one another. See, because women can tend to, you know, we we tend to expect women to mother us or to be in a mothering kind of situation. And I actually think sisterhood is actually kind of more respectful that, you know, you are on your unique path and I will support that when and how I can. 
but yet, you know, we don't have an umbilical cord going through us yeah. either. <laughs> well, it's like that constant receptive state that you're expected to be in. The infantilism, yeah. but actually is something I'm seeing coming up with the whole cancer Capricorn thing, mm. you know, is there's, you know, there's Capricorn is beautiful for maturity, but it's always getting a bad rap that it's all about like judgment and it's all about, you know, um, extreme you know, totalitarianism or whatever, which it can be, especially with Pluto there. But the opposite being cancer and being the feminine and being care, that also has a shadow of, you know, that infantilism of the codependency of the victimhood kind of thing too. Mm. Um, so, but anyway, yeah, the the thing, what, what actually struck me, something that just kind of really came through not long ago was um, in Jeffrey Wolf Green, Evolutionary Astrology, um, he uses, he says Chiron is symbol, symbolic of guilt and masochism. And I thought, ooh, that's kind of a, that's kind of an extreme <laughs> word, but of course, you know, in EA, they love those extremes. But, um, and I, I really was kind of throwing or just rolling around this idea of masochism and spoke to some of my other colleagues around it. And, and, you know, it can be that, um, I forget what it was you were saying earlier that kind of triggered that in me, but it's like when you have a wound that you just, to me, the masochism is just constantly feeding on that wound, Mm -hmm. you know, constantly like taking the scab. (laughs) Yeah. Or like, what is it like a tumor? Like, you know, actually kind of like, then grows and yes, it's, yes. And like gets bigger. Um, and that can be a, a shadow side, I think, of Chiron is when we don't accept the healing potential. We just get stuck in I'm wounded, this is my wound, I, and I'm I'm addicted to my wound, I'm clinging to my wound. Um, you know, I've and yeah, unfortunately I've seen that that be an experience for some people. Um, and that's why the the transcendental nature of Chiron is really important um, because we don't want to always see ourselves as as victims, which we very much could do with a Chiron transit. Um, and you said, oh, you said like the rejection being a theme, mm-hmm. and that can also be part of that too. It's like if the rejection is is some is used to catapult us into a new era. Um, you know, I'm a Scorpio moon. So for me, if it's rejection, it's like, I'll show them, you know, yeah, I know. Hey, <laughs> I've been there. I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> the truth comes out. <laughs> yeah. And then, but if it's like, you know, rejection and then c- constantly making that mean, I am a bad person, you know, rather than something bad happened to me and then turning that into, I am bad, I am damaged. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's a potential, but but bringing again, bringing the, the the consciousness around the healing side of Chiron can help us to move through that. And um, you and also were talking about guns and stuff. Well, you know, last year the NRA was really big. Mm. You know, there's a lot of stories around the NRA, uh, the National Rifle Association, and you know, Aries being symbolic of guns. Mm-hmm. You know, not only we had. Chiron, but also Taurus. I mean, Uranus is still at the very end there with Aries. Um, and last year, finally, now I'm not, I don't remember the date, but there was finally some movement with the laws that the NRA, you know, the gun laws that have been immovable 
for like decades. Mm. They finally were able to put some restrictions on them. Um, and then the NRA also came out saying that they are going bankrupt, that people are leaving their membership. Um, and so I'd like to see, you know, I'm curious to see more what may come around, you know, the the issue with not only gun laws, but also the, the wounding that the guns continue to cause. Mm, I think that's, yes, that's an interesting point. And, and one that I was kind of, my, my brain took me to some spots uh, earlier and we'll see what you think about this because it dawned on me. I mean, Chiron, you know, we're not, we're talking about a, a, a planetoid comet, whatever you want to call it. We can name it what we want. <laughs> it's too, it's too short. Just for don't, a call comet. It an asteroid. Just don't call it an asteroid. Um, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't officially discovered until uh, November first of nineteen seventy seven. It was actually uh, it, people a lot of people had uh, predicted its discovery. I mean, even down to its like nodal axis and its orbital period wow. and all that. But it wasn't until November first of seventy seven that it was um, it was officially noticed, and it was noticed in a chart uh, dated for October 18th, a few weeks prior. And so at that point, uh, Chiron was at three degrees of Taurus. And so it dawned on me that collectively we have not yet had a Chiron return. And so we are kind of, we're filling this out as far as astrologers getting our interpretation of what this looks like. Because, we, of course, we can go back to the past, but we also, you know, are living it in the moment. And I know, I know that you and I are very passionate about, uh, you know, f- uh, women's rights and, you know, yeah. a, a lot of the, uh, you know, Chiron, or excuse me, Uranus moving to Taurus, hoping that that is going to help lift up the divine feminine and same with the Jupiter transit that went through Scorpio. But it dawned on me that perhaps part of this Chiron return that won't actually happen until uh, June 24th of 2027. That's when we'll have our return of the discovery Um, is that we actually are going to go through this whole period of uh, Chiron and Aries for the first time um, knowing of Chiron. And we do have this, patriarchal wound. You know, you're just talking about it with the guns there. Um, and we're seeing and the that. Masculine and, and the masculine and all mm-hmm. this. And so I'm wondering if part of the collective transit that will be taking place during this time is, you know, sussing out that wound and, and, oh, yeah. and bringing it to the forefront before we do return to that, you know, feminine, more receptive zone. Oh yeah, I have a few things to say around that because, um, and I have to credit Leah Whitehorse, the astrologer. She has the video on Chiron and Aries on YouTube. I highly recommend. She's an awesome astrologer and a dear friend. I love her. Um, But she actually looked at when Chiron was in Aries in 1918, that was when women got the vote in Ah! America. And when it first went into Aries, 1918, women got the vote in America and in the UK. Um, And then through, it was in Aries throughout the 1920s up until I think 1927. And that was the flappers. That was when, that was when women were cutting their hair short. They had the boy cuts for the first time. They were wearing pants. It first became kind of like stylish. You know, the movie stars were wearing pants and had these like manly like looks. And that was actually really shaking up you know, the sense of what it means to be feminine. And that was an extension of, you know, the women's suffrage movement. Um, and so women all, and then it, it took 
years for the women's suffrage movement to spread to other countries, but throughout the 20s and early 30s is when that was happening worldwide. Mm. And so that was that challenge of Chiron challenging that Aries masculinity. Um, and well, you know, in the early 70s that. too, because that's when women started really going into the workforce. There was that sexual equality, you know, people, you know, it seems like there was another, hmm, that's interesting. I like that. Yeah, it was 1968 that Chiron entered Aries, you know, right around the time, unfortunately, when Martin Luther King Jr. was shot. And that was, I mean, Chiron was on the Aries point. I think it was conjunct the North Node too. Oh, interesting. Um, and there were, or something, I'll have to look, but, um, and um, that was, you know, and I, I think about, you know, the s- symbolism of that. And that's, you know, we had this really charismatic, inspiring leader who, yeah, the North Node was in Aries at that time too. Um, who, you know, when there's one person leading and they're so inspiring and so eloquent and they get a huge crowd, you know, it's really easy to just take in that person's, um, that person's like glow and just think they are like one special person. They're going to save everyone. And then when they're gone, um, then it's up to everyone else to find that light within them. You know, so that kind of that whole thing about the guru, the guru was only there to give you an image an inner image to spark an inner image of the guru that is actually within you, you know, or any kind of inspiring figure. Um, Because essentially we're all the same. We have different destiny, but we all have like potential to, to lead, to be inspiring, just like Martin Luther King Jr. Um, And so once he unfortunately was murdered, then that awoke something in people to say, Hey, if, it's like, if I really believe in civil rights, I need to now say something. You know, I need to show um, my belief in it through my actions, through resisting racism, through changing the system. You know, so it's like anytime we lose an inspiring figure, and I look at this every time some famous figure has died, you know, what are they trying to say about what is the potential in the rest of us? You know, what needs to awaken within us before mm-hmm. we're gone? You know? That I, I, That's an interesting point, especially bringing back to Martin Luther King Jr. And uh, you were saying that he was um, assassinated on when Chiron was on the zero degrees Aries point. Was mm-hmm. it close there? I'm pretty sure it was pretty, yeah. Yeah, well, even if it's pretty close, we'll, we'll go with that. Because that's the thing, was, is Chiron as an archetype, it, it does hold that kind of teacher-mentor vibe, um, yeah. or can be that. And perhaps he was that for a lot of people. I mean, clearly, not perhaps. He was, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> he was helping unite uh, the populace, basically, in, in this... Because uh, he was a Pisces, right? Like his son, I think he was a Pisces. He actually was a Capricorn, believe it or not. Oh, Capricorn. Where am I yeah. getting the Pisces? Maybe that was... Okay, so I'm looking at the date where he was killed. It was April 4th, 1968. And yes, Chiron was at zero Aries. Huh. Um and there was a Sun-Saturn conjunction in Aries at 14, 15 degrees, and the North Node was at 18 Aries. So there was a lot of Aries. There are a lot of Aries going on there. <clears throat> yeah. Well, and that was near the, the 
Pluto uh, Uranus conjunction in in Virgo. But yeah, it's to me that was very much a moment in time that was, I mean, you know, that wounding the Chiron. I mean, people felt it all over, regardless of how, you know, they might have felt at the time. Um about the civil rights movement. I mean, that had to be a, a major collective. Yeah. The wounding, it's, you're losing your leader, essentially. But perhaps part of that reason, maybe why he was lost so early um, and unfortunately, was because then we had that whole transit of Chiron and Aries, which, you know, we can get that wisdom from that teacher or that mentor that can help lead the path. But essentially Chiron wants us to, to find it. it. Yeah, we have to walk mm-hmm. it. We have to find it within. Um, and then we have to, you know, exemplify that wisdom. And that is a lot of times hard earned because, you know, things that are painful in our lives, uh, you know, we have to go through some unfortunate uh, emotional and instinctual and, you know, like a, a, that's, spiritual rabbit hole kind of in order to get up out of there. And so perhaps by losing him, it was to then help other people find the wisdom so that they can branch off on his influence. Because really, if people were to take what he did and then go their own maverick way to spread it out and expand his influence, like that's a million times stronger than what he could possibly be. But it's up to us and the individual in order to, you know, walk that path. And so, yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah. Oh, that's exactly how I am. I kind of see it as as sad and unfortunate as it is. It awakens, hopefully would awaken something in everyone. And um, another thing I noticed I was looking at just some um, celebrity charts from last year when Chiron entered Aries and a couple that stood out, um, Eminem, he had um, Pluto at, um, I think at zero Libra or something like that, um, right there. So he was having the Chiron-Pluto opposition. Mm. I was looking that up because I'm going to have my hand in like, I'll get close. <laughs> And um, I was like, hmm, what does that look like? And he actually, right when that happened, he apparently went on um, Instagram and showed his 10-year sobriety um, coin, you know, that you get from Mm -hmm. the, um, what is it, the AA, um, Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, and he had basically said he was sober. He's never going back. And that like made the news, you know? So for him, that was like declaring a new identity in some way, you know? And isn't it interesting, you know, the whole addiction thing, you know, v- being very much a Piscean yes. um, sort of signature. And then when the Chiron is opposing Pluto, Pluto, that symbol of metamorphosis, you know, I would think that, you know, he declared that, that he's not going back, you know, that he is a different person now. And this is who he is. He is clean. Um, another thing that happened is Cameron Diaz, about that time, she also was having the Pluto opposition um, to Transient Chiron and she retired from acting. And I think a lot of people were kind of shocked by it. What happened was she had told a girl that she was on some movie set with that this is going to be my last movie I'm retiring and I forgot who that actress was some girl that went on to some interview and blurted it out and I was like oh my god there's no way you're too young to 
Um, you're too successful and you're too young to be um, retiring. But then she actually came back and she, Cameron Diaz confirmed that she indeed was retiring from acting, from doing movies. Um, and I would imagine that would be a real, you know, that, that took something, some kind of real inner inner transformation to really say, I'm ready to, because, you know, with Pluto, a lot of times it's like surrendering to something or surrendering something, giving up something um, in order so that you can be free of it and you can move forward in a new and empowered way. And I mean, let's face it, you know, Hollywood is like, if you're over what, 25 or something, you're old. Yeah. And so the very qualities that probably led to her stardom, I would imagine, I don't know her, obviously, I don't know that much about her, but I would just imagine that, you know, she just realized that was just a game for her childhood. You know, she's just not willing to play that game anymore and good for her, Mm. you know, because claiming who you are at this phase in life. Yeah. Well, and especially having, you know, because she has Chiron and Aries, right? The opposing uh, Pluto and Libra. And well, the, the transit. It was the transit. transit. But yeah. do you know if she has that natally in I'm that place? I'm pretty sure she does because she was born around yeah. in the 70s. So. Uh, yeah, then she probably, she probably does. Um, but when I think about Pluto and Libra and sometimes, you know, sometimes what happens is they're like the appeasement of other people, you know, to some extent, because what do you mean you're leaving? Like you're this famous star. You're so young, you know, you're, she's so young now, but I mean, if they were probably saying that without that, they'd be like, she's getting old, you know? Um, But, but being able to go her own way, despite, you know, the pressure from other people saying, you know, the pressure of love and appreciation, like, we love you, don't go. But at the same time, she had such a sense of uh, what she needed for herself. um, Yeah, that sense of self. Yeah, Yeah, she does have, natally, she has Chiron at 16 Aries and the Pluto is at zero Libra. So that ingress really yeah and right now for her really and now mm-hmm. yeah because that was last year so and who knows maybe she had some regrets after that maybe she thought <laughs> well i could do one more movie or da, da, da. and you know and now she's having some other kind of signature saying you know i really need to once and for all claim this identity of mine yeah well maybe we'll have to keep a lookout for cameron over the you know over the coming weeks see what comes and out M&M too. Let's and see. M&M, you know you never know and ariana granda you know i never was into pop culture until <laughs> i was never into pop culture or politics before astrology okay. now yeah too tempting not to, to well because we have that information and it, it's it's good study tools for us so that we can like look at these you know it's yeah. it's one of the best ways to learn astrology, really. Now, Christina, what do you think about, because you have Chiron and Aries natally, uh, and we do have our Chiron return that always happens around 51, give or take, you know, months or so. I'm, do you have any foreshadowing advice for people that might be going through their Chiron and Aries uh, return, you know, over the next couple of years? You know, when I first um, started... Um, well, not my first year doing astrology, but at one point I was studying with this astrologer who, um, how he did astrology was 
he basically looked at people's Chiron transits, like the Chiron squares and opposition and returns. And he had me do 10 charts of people, you know, looking through, you know, some people hadn't gone to the return yet, but everyone had at, at least had the squares and the um, opposition. And what I found was that Chiron opposition um, you know, now Chiron is so, you know, has that elliptical orbit that we don't always know exactly when the opposition will be. But, you know, if you know your chart and you can look at when Chiron was opposite your natal Chiron, probably in your mid 20s, right? Mm-hmm. It's like half of the 51. So 25, 26, probably. Um, people always remembered that one. And it usually was some wound happened. And then you had to work really hard to like cover it up or make up for it or like, you know, or, or it just threw you on some other kind of trajectory in your life. Um, and I would look back. First thing I would do is if you know your chart enough, to look at your Chiron opposition because that would show you, you know, your that natal Chiron was triggered in some way and some significant way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, also, you know, and just kind of not that that would be an echo or a repeat necessarily. There could be some themes, you know, by house and sign that would repeat. So you'd want to get an idea of the house and sign. Um, the first thing, something that. Uh, Melanie Reinhardt recently said was Chiron transits often are accompanied by um, an illness, you know, or sometimes accompanied by by an illness, you know, because we see Chiron as alternative healing, health and healing. Mm -hmm. And um, it can be some kind of, it could be, you know, obviously not always, but what I liked about what she said about that was she said, that it could be accompanied by an illness. Even if it is an illness, that isn't the purpose of the Chiron transit. There's something else that is some lesson, some soul lesson experience that needs to be transmuted, you know, that you have to adapt to. I think of Chiron as that adaptation, you know, or mutation, you know, we mutate around this wound. And, um, and so I like that because I once saw some astrologers said, oh yeah, when I had my Chiron return, that's when I, you know, broke my leg, like period, end of story. Like really, yeah. like yeah, yeah. <laughs> something else had to have happened around that. I mean, the, the, what was, you know, not like yeah. you have, I mean, I don't know this person's story enough, but it's never that simple with Chiron. You know, yeah. there's so much more there. underlying, you know. As yeah, because well, context, because, you know, it's not just about content. It's mm-hmm. also about context yes in your life so when the chiron return is approaching you know expect your ego to get a workover number one probably and um but also this is our entry into elderhood yes right we are a nation that is missing elders or society in general is missing elders older people think they don't have you know they think that Younger people don't want to hear from them. They don't, you know, they, they're not seeking them out. And actually, um, like Stephen Jenkinson, who, who does a lot of work with elder, you know, with this concept of elderhood, has said that in his workshops, he's seen a lot of younger people really just as so um, missing the quality teaching and wisdom of an elder. But there's such a disconnect there, you yeah. know, because you've got six-year-olds who can, you know, create like 
freaking code to like I crash know. a computer or something. I, mean, I, don't <laughs> I know it's true because the youth has become more wise about, uh, you know, kind of the, the futuristic, uh, you know, trajectory of everything. And so maybe we live in a weird space and time where um, I think being an elder as always has something to share. You know, having lived, there is always something to share. But we are in this weird shift where they don't understand necessarily a lot of stuff of where things are going. And so you do have that weird in-between point, like you're saying, where the child knows more than the adult in some cases. Yeah, in some cases. But, you know, it's funny because my father, um, he... I mean, my father worked on the space shuttle. He was a um, technical engineer for NASA. And, but yet when he got older, he just stayed away from things like computers and like he Mm. lost the cell phone trend totally. And then when he became elderly, he went to a, a, you know, the elder, I don't know, the place where they teach like older people, like how to uh, use a cell phone. And there was some 20 year old guy that taught all these elderly people how to take a selfie. And I'm like, <laughs> seriously, my dad doesn't need to be taking selfies. You know, yeah. he needs to know how to like call somebody or text. Yeah. And, um, that's funny. So it's like, <laughs> and I can imagine the, vul- I never saw my dad so vulnerable when he was older. And then my little, you know, eight year old nephew would be showing him, you know, how to use the phone. So there could be, so I'm, I imagine this technological, technological advance society can in some ways be creating more of that divide um, that, you know, younger people think they have nothing to learn. The older people think they have, you know, anything they have to learn is just won't be valued. But um, I don't know. I hope and I pray that there, there can be some kind of connection, reconnection there, because when we think about elderhood, the Chiron lessons of the Chiron return are such that they are meant for you to become that mentor, you know, the great mentor, as Stephen Forrest calls it. You know, maybe it's not a mentor, maybe it's just a steadying hand for another, you know. So there's something in that wounding that can really help for you to really be there when another is going through a dark night of the soul or some kind of like rock bottom experience or some, you know, internal soul wounding experience that you can in some ways develop that into wisdom, you know, and it was actually, I think it was Stephen Forrest that had said that from the Chiron return to the second Saturn return, Mm -hmm. you know, like he said, if you don't learn the lessons of the Chiron return, you're not going to be in as and, you know, the, the second Saturn return may be more challenging for you because you won't know, really understand those lessons, those deep soul lessons that were meant for you at that time. Now, I, I can't say I know exactly what he means by that. Um, but I do think that that period from 51 to 60, that is elder making, that is deep soul making. Mm. You know, it was Jung who said the second half of life is where we turn from the ego strivings of, you know, being somebody in the world and accomplishing things in the world, you know, for the sake of ego and, and um, prominence and turn within ourselves and really value and cherish the soul and what the soul wants out of us and what our soul gifts are to share. Mm. Um, 
Now, I will say there's younger and younger people. I love seeing people that are, you know, younger on Instagram or whatever talking about the soul and destiny and using astrology for it. And so, so, you know, you might not have to wait that long, but there's, you know, it's fine. I mean, there is an impulse in us to want to, you know, do all that we can in this life, especially the first half of life, yeah. you know, and, and experience and get things <laughs> wrong and just like play and just be wild and dangerous, you know, but it's the later half of life. And of course, all our destiny is unique, but according to Young, the later half of life, really, um, there's a, such a richness in the soul that needs to be honored and expressed. And you can only do that by in somehow disengaging from that constant striving and actually paying attention to the soul's intention. See, the soul has its own consciousness. It's got its own intentions for our lives. Yeah. We spend most of the time just trying to push it deeper and deeper into the subconscious. And eventually, when we do that, it eventually it can overtake us. and might not be so pretty, yeah. you know, if we haven't been. Well, and that might be part. That might be part of the Chiron and Aries thing too, you know, because if we're looking at more of that egoic tendency and and Chiron's looking at the spiritual wisdom that is, it, you know, lies beneath, there might be a disconnect there, or maybe that's part of the issue. But to go to what you were saying with the, because it is important to look at the square, the opposition, the square, and then the Chiron return. Um, and then that period, like you're saying, before the Saturn return. And I think maybe why Stephen Forrest would say um, uh, that the Saturn return might be more difficult if the Chiron return and, and that healing that is initiated at that time isn't fully you know, digested and moved through. Because you know, Chiron does sit in between Uranus and Saturn for the most part. Like you said earlier, it can go as far as like Neptune because it's, so, it's orbit so crazy. Um, but maybe if there isn't, because Chiron return... Like Melanie Reinhardt said this in her recent, uh, she, has, she has a fabulous three-part series uh, over at Astrology University right now that some of you might want to go check out. Um, but she was saying that the first square is um, could be associated possibly with the wounding, the opposition of the awareness. So it's interesting. We were talking about that opposition, you know, becoming aware of that because they're probably presented with it again. The second square is the crisis. Uh, and then the Chiron return is the healing because something has been on ice for so long that now it's starting to thaw out and we have to address it. And so I'm wondering if possibly if it's not addressed and maybe liberated and released and vibrationally, you know, uplifted with that Uranian aspect, uh, other because then by the time we get to Saturn return, the reality of that all is going to hit a little too hard if part of that's not released. You know what I mean? Yeah. Caught between yeah. those two placements. That's just well, because Saturn, <laughs> you know, applies pressure. Yeah, and it wants you to go stronger in some way. And and the Saturn returns, you know, the first Saturn return is separating from your the family of origin in some way, in some significant way where you're defining yourself and your role in the world. And then the second Saturn return um, is even further of a defining of yourself, likely even beyond what society wants from you, but what does, you know, what does the soul want from you? What do you want from you? And mm -hmm. if you have humbled yourself through the Chiron return, you know, and truly gotten in touch with that, you know, that sense of vulnerability, but also knowing that that vulnerability is part of the beauty of 
you know, humanity in general. We all share, you know, a, a level of vulnerability and wounding. Um, and that's a beautiful thing. Then I can see that, yeah, then that can help you be in a position of really claiming who you are in the latter part of life. Mm, yeah, because it's, it, that's the thing is like, there's so many people that just really get into themselves and become powerful in their later years. Like it's, it, it, it's not all over folks, you know, <laughs> after 40, it's not all over. After 30, some people are like 30. I'm so fortunate. I have, I don't know how, but I've gotten a lot of clients in their second Saturn returns and they are not, you know, if you look at like the delineation, like online or whatever, a lot of them say second Saturn return, people are ready to retire or thinking about retirement. Mm-hmm. Um, the people that come to me are ready to just really rock it and like yeah. do some, do actually do something that is really meaningful to them. Maybe they've already retired from the big job, but they're ready to like take on their life in a different way. Mm, yes. Cause there's still power there. You know, it's, it's, I think that's just societal conditioning saying that, you know, <laughs> it's, it's over past that certain point, but really there's so many people that have come in Especially for women, you know, because women then tend to, I think, I don't know if it's like this hormonal thing or, you know, men lose the testosterone and women get more testosterone or something, but, but it's the women that come to me that they're ready to, um, you know, to do something with themselves that they never thought was possible before. Now, are these women coming now? Are they having, are they having Saturn returns in Capricorn? I'm just curious. I've had some, yeah, mm-hmm. in the past couple of years that Saturn returns in Sag and Capricorn. Because mm-hmm. the Capricorn, I can imagine the Saturn return in Capricorn and probably in Aquarius too are, you know, the, that feels like a strengthening, you know, like a, another new purpose. Because Capricorn, you know, you're, you're Cap rising. Are you Cap rising or Cap? Yeah. And sun okay. and Mercury. You're a fine wine. You know, Capricorn is a mm-hmm. fine wine. It gets better with age. That's actually my saving grace as I look back on my life. I'm like, oh, well, I have a Capricorn moon. It makes sense that, you know, especially emotionally, it's going to take me so long mm-hmm. to, you know, ripen to a point where I can, you know, share that more. Um, and so to all you Capricorn energies out there, just know that it, this... It, it's okay to be a late bloomer or like, or mm. as far as to what's really um, meaningful to, in, to your well, life. You know, there's a, <laughs> I wanted to say one thing is there's a book out. I can't remember the name of it, but this guy did some research that, you know, in the, I guess in the general sort of consensus or even in the art world, um, people assume that if, you know, you're either a child prodigy or maybe you never had any real talents, you know, after that, you know, unless it came out early. Yeah. And that turns out to be total BS. There are some people, there's child prodigies and then there's the um, late masters, the late bloomers. And they actually, there's there's an equal amount of them in say that have made artistic contributions um and that like they're just different types of um of artistic creativity like the the um the child prodigy is isn't afraid to experiment and do a bunch of kind of stuff like that and then the late bloomer or the old master has actually like you said has um has honed their skill and has, you know, and still can experiment in its own way, but it's, it's the kind of skill that's come through, um, through maturity and through time. Yeah. Because you, you just, it, 
and sometimes you know that's going to be the uh, you know the end journey the whole time, but there's something that has to be released in order to get there. Like for example, when I had my Saturn return, and keep in mind I got a Capricorn moon, so my Capricorn moon is looking to Saturn, right? And so when I had my Saturn return, I had been. Um, I've been collecting vinyl records for years. I was known as a collector, DJ, all that. I had many friends in bands and I I had done music earlier on in life, but had abandoned it, like actually playing it. And then I realized that, you know, I had appreciated long enough and it was now time for me to contribute. And, you know, they're at 30 something, 30 years old. I'm now picking up an instrument again and getting in there. And it didn't take me long because the talent was already there. Like I just had to make the emotional choice that I was ready to combat the fear, you know, the fear of expressing myself and getting up there because I'd always played other people's music, you know, I, you know, sight read, you know, that kind of stuff, but to create my own and like make my own own music. Oh yes. I, and that's how I learned. I didn't learn, like I didn't teach myself trying to do other people's. I just picked up an instrument and just started playing whatever (laughs) came to me and then just expanded upon that. And, but I had to have that moment with myself in order to get there because up until that point, you know, cause a lot of people play in their twenties and that's the time they do do that. But I wasn't emotionally ready for that yet. Um, and so that's just part of being in that late bloomer kind of, you know, process. And I'm fine with that. That's great. That's great. Like you said, the talent is there, but mm-hmm. it has to emerge at the right time too. Mm-hmm. So, And you have to have a, cent- a focus on it. You know, it's like, you know, like we talk about narcissism being like such like a horrible thing, but you know, I spent 13 years running an art gallery and I know that the successful artists were the ones that really put all of their psychic energy into their artwork and, and believed in it and believed it was special. It's not like they liked everything. It's not like they didn't have insecurities, but there was something in them that said, um, I'm prioritizing this above everything, you know? And that that's healthy narcissism that I think anyone who's doing any kind of creative project needs to take on, you know? I mean, because yeah. why would anybody believe in, you know, your work unless you believe in it first? Right. And that could be a very Chiron and Aries thing to go through yeah, too. Yeah. And I wanted to say yeah. with Chiron and Aries, the Chiron return. So, you know, even though, like I said, we're crossing this threshold and there is something about what about me? It's my time now or never, you know, even if I've been rejected, I'm ready to, um, be, um, ejected. I'm saying like like that, (laughs) a whole new space, but there's also the, um, the shadow side of that, which when we are walking, when we feel like we have to do it all ourselves, you know, can't trust anybody. We're the, you know, we're the wounded warrior right? Because it's the wounded healer and this is the sign of the warrior. Um, There can be some real, you know, the polarity is is Libra. And so it's, you know, the shadow I see of generally with people with Chiron and and Aries is not showing any vulnerability. And that can sometimes just lead into a spiral of more and more isolation Mm -hmm. and more and more I can do this. I can do it by myself. No crying. I'm strong. But is that really true? You know, um, and where do you need to find some kind of compromise and find some balance and and cooperation and allow other people to help you or allow yourself to, you know, the 
the Aries anger and resentment that can also at times eat us alive, you know? Mm. So with the Chiron, Chiron and Aries people can either, I usually see they can either really be quick to anger and all that, or maybe there was early wounding experiences that they feel they can never express anger. And if it's not expressed, you know, it's going to just turn in on on yourself. Um, So so there can be some real lessons around that, around your, how you assert yourself, you know, how you um, deal with things like aggression or conflict. Yeah. It could likely bring up conflicts. Um, And where, how does, you know, I'm the the Pluto and Libra generation. I mean, this is just such a problem. Like, I know I'm with you. (laughs) We be nice and we like compromise. And then sometimes when you compromise too much, then you really have compromised yourself. yourself compromised absolutely. your soul. I mean, and I looked at like those Parkland kids that came out against, you know, the NRA so mm-hmm. strong and so firm. And um, I was actually at one of the rallies here in Florida, in Tallahassee. And there was a woman from my generation, a mother that had been fighting, trying to get something passed. And she said, we have failed you. Our generation has failed you all. You know, and that's the, I saw that as the the Pluto and Libras making too many compromises. And so sometimes you have to be uncompromising. And I thought that was beautiful that those kids were doing that. And, you know, the the adults were like, let the children lead the way because we weren't able to make any progress. Yeah, no, that's, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I feel you on the Pluto and Libra. I have my sun and moon are exact opposition and exactly square in a T square to Pluto by you know partile oh degree. God. So I know all about <laughs> I all know all about some Pluto and Libra, and it's true. It is so true. And I found myself compromising a lot in in yeah. Because it's weird. It's almost strange because at times I wouldn't compromise. I'd be so, you know, wanting to control and that didn't work either. And so then confronted with that, you know, barrier, then I go the opposite, total polar opposite way. And I'm like, compromise everything. And, you know, now things are going to work, right? If I'm just nice and go along with it and don't exercise my own will, which is also very strong because I'm a Scorpio rising. And so there has to be that balance there. Um, and I'm still learning that, to be honest, like that's going to be yeah, a life. Yeah. I th- me, same here. I think that's such a lesson to know when at times not to compromise and when at times the, you know, it's, you know, in the best interest of everyone. I mean, actually something I love reading up on is like negotiation tactics. Oh, that can really be helpful to sometimes realize, you know, um, and also how to communicate them, um, how to know when, uh, well, actually, I remember there's one out that's about this FBI. Um, he was a hostage negotiator. I forget the name of it. Um, and he said that when, whenever they're on one of those calls, you know, where they, there's a hostage situation, mm-hmm. they have, the FBI has like at least five people listening in. And, you know, you think like, why do they have so many people listening in? It's because each person is likely hearing something different, mm-hmm. you know? They're catching something different or they're hearing a different tone. And then they all get together to decide, you know, what is that person trying to say to us? And it's actually really important because in any kind of these tense situations, when there's so much on the line, you selectively listen. 
Mm. You know? And so it's, you know, I don't know. It, it made me think of, you know, any kind of um, conflict that has to happen that like, what am I just selectively listening to? And what is it that I really need to open up to and hear? Mm. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Degree with that. I and think you know, hostage the, negotiations yeah, probably are um, our generation. <laughs> I know. Well, I was, I was always told that I would make a good lawyer. I was told I'd make a good counselor. You know, these are kind of oh, Libra background things, oh, the Scorpio. Yeah. And then also looking at Chiron in, in the seventh on the descendant, you know, those, those, that attracting the wounded, definitely attracting the wounded. <laughs> that is true. That is true. And also the Chiron in, in Taurus, you know, the person that I looked at that I thought was symbolic of it, cause he was born around the time of the discovery, mm-hmm. Michael Fassbender, who, um, his he shot to fame in the movie Hunger, okay. where he was um, this rebel who was on a hunger strike, and he had to like, you know, he was like dying. I mean, in the movie, he looked like he was about to die of hunger. And there is something there with Chiron and Taurus about the not feeling almost that you don't deserve that nurturance or that you know it's that self worth thing. Um, and it can literally even turn into starvation, you know, like denying the self. You know what? That's you know what's funny about that is that I have a significant other who cooks for me every night. Right? I'm the cancer, but he's cooking <laughs> the Virgo cooking for me every night. And you know, occasionally he'll go out ta- out of town. And last night he went out of town. Um, and I find that when I am by myself. I don't eat. You just won't eat. <laughs> I just won't eat. And, you know, obviously I can only go for so long with that, but there just isn't, like, there's something about our relationship, you know, I don't want to take it down a codependent thing because obviously if I were by myself, I would have to eat. But I realized that without his influence there, it was just natural for me to go as long as I could until starvation ensued mm-hmm. and I'd have to do something about it. Yeah. So that's and an interesting note. Probably gives you that nurturance, you know, not you just obviously in an obvious sense, but obviously it helps you to feel that sense of, you know, that that your body is open to receiving yes. that nour- nourishment, I would imagine. Well, and he has the moon in Taurus too, so that helps. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. no, he keeps things grounded around here and fed. Um, so <laughs> bless his heart. <laughs> So, well, all right. You know, Christina and I could probably talk for like- I know. I don't even know how long we've been on. We've been on. We are- No, I think we're both going. And honestly, there's so much to talk about. Like I hit maybe half of the things that I could have talked about. So maybe at some time there'll be a part two. Um, But (laughs) for now, we'll wrap it up with that. And I, you know, I encourage anybody that is, uh, has something to say about Chiron and Aries or has Chiron and Aries themselves to reach out and share your own experience because that's how we learn, you know, what this looks yeah. like. Yeah. And one thing I wanted to say is because when we we're talking about the sun transits, mm-hmm. you know, just like your solar return is when the sun comes to your sun and you have a sense of your natal sun, you know, you can use the sun transit to illuminate any planet in your chart. I like to do that for beginners. So if you're a beginner and you don't really know how to sense into your Chiron, because the Chiron can take some real self-reflection, 
um, look at the date when the sun was transiting that degree and, you know, and look back, you know, look, maybe look in your calendar, your diary and, you know, what was coming up for you at that time. And about, about that date every year, you'll have, you know, the sun Chiron. And I use it for any planet that I, you know, have a hard time really feeling into, um, I can really be helpful, especially if you have that impending Chiron return coming up. Yes. Close to 51. <laughs> you really want to get to know your Chiron because I think it can make a difference in that experience of it being totally taking you by surprise, totally wounding to rather being like, okay, I'm going through this wounding and I know there's a lesson to it. You know, let me just kind of be curious about, you know, how this unfolds. Yeah, I think that is great advice. And especially for you with Chiron and Aries, you know, Aries season is right around the corner. Uh, so kind of pay attention to when that might happen for, for you. I mean, of course, you might need a, a calculation, uh, you know, look at where the transits are or consult us astrologers, we'll help you out. Um, but the actual Sun-Chiron conjunction will happen at one degree and 50 minutes on mm-hmm. March 22nd um, mm-hmm. here coming up. So we can also look at so right that the, day. Um, yeah, that's yeah. like around the Aries ingress. So. Yes, our last full moon at zero degrees in Libra, which is interesting. And then we'll have Mercury still retrograde at that time, I think. Um, yeah, because it's not till 28. So yeah, it'll be interesting ingress this year as far as Aries is concerned. I'm hoping to do a, a podcast episode on that as well. This was so much fun. Yeah. And I need you to have you on my podcast, the Radiant Astrology Podcast. Yes. Very soon. Make so um, we're going to have to get something <laughs> going for that. <laughs> well, okay. So before we go here, Christina, tell people where they can find you, that podcast. Do you have any things going on? You know, let people know. Yes. Let's see. Um, so much going on. Um, I'm just wrapping up module two of a four-part series course, um, Astrology for the Soul at New Paradigm Astrology. It is a chart interpretation course, and it's starting from very beginners, getting up to like an intermediate level um, where you will learn chart interpretation from an evolutionary astrology standpoint. And you can learn about that at newparadigmastrology.com. Um, you can sign up for my free newsletter at radiantastrology.com. And I do new moon and full moon reports every month. Um, and you can sign up for my podcast. My podcast is on iTunes and SoundCloud and Spotify. And it's the Radiant Astrology Spot Podcast I've been a little bit like, you know, not posting it every week or every month. I took some time out during the eclipses, but I do have a whole awesome series of um, interviews coming up soon. So you don't want to miss that. So check out Radiant Astrology Podcast on iTunes. Yes. And so in case you didn't get all that, I'll be sure to share it in my blog as well. because So you can get over to Christina because you're always doing things. She's always out there sharing her knowledge, sharing, sharing that Chiron with other people. Oh yeah, I miss Chiron. <laughs> Get that Chiron out there. So definitely be sure to Thank you so much, out. Melissa. This was such a treat. And um, I know I could keep going 
chatting with you for the rest of the day, but I'm sure people have other things they need to do. I know. I have a consultation here shortly, so I'll have Ooh, to yikes. read up for, for her, um, but we will definitely reconvene. But um, in the meantime, you know, where can you find me? You can find me at energeticprinciples.com. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at that same spot, Energetic Principles. And also I do my Patreon. You can support the podcast through patreon.com backslash you guessed it, energetic principles. Um, And if you're interested in getting my moon updates and things along those lines, I do have a mailing list on the front page of my uh, website. Um, And if you think people need to know about Chiron, which I'm going to say they do, share this podcast with someone else. Get it out there. You know, leave a nice review on iTunes. All that, you know, helps for us both to be seen uh, and to get the word out there because, you know, knowledge is power. So uh, thank you again, Christina, for joining me. I'm so happy to have you and I can't wait till we reconvene again. (laughs) Thanks, Melissa. It's a pleasure. All right. Well, and thank you for listening. uh, And as always, may the stars be with you.